This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. I'd like to join the other brethren in welcoming everybody here this morning. I really appreciate that you could all be with us. I'd like to say a special welcome to our visitors. I'm definitely glad that you could be with us. It's, it really is a lot of encouragement and edification for us to have you stop in and I pray that the, the service here today will be encouraging and edifying to you as well. Um, I appreciate the prayers on my behalf. And it's my prayer that the things we study this morning will be in strict accordance to God's Word. And also it will be useful to you and beneficial as we all continue our Christian walk together. And for a little while this morning, I want to look at the proper attitude that Christians should have. And specifically, that, that Christians should have when standing up for the truth. Um, we, we all know that we should stand up for the truth, we should stand up for God's Word, and we should also be promoting peace and unity at the same time. We're at a time in our society that's very polarizing on different things. It's very polarizing on many different subjects like politics, lifestyle choices, different doctrines and teachings. Different things can cause a lot of division and a lot of strife. Uh, what really encouraged me to put this lesson together is uh, seeing a lot of these different teachings that were false teachings on social media that was really causing a lot of division. And a lot of times when you see people stand up for the truth, they stand up in a way that causes a lot of division, a lot of strife, a lot of, a lot of heartaches. Um, and that's what really caused me to start thinking about this topic and want to put this lesson together, that we, we know that that's not correct. We should not be promoting division. We should be promoting peace and unity. So that's why I put this lesson together, and that's what we're going to study for a little bit about today. In Romans chapter 12, verse 8, it says, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. This doesn't say just live peaceably with the ones that you get along with. It says live peaceably with all men. So we should be striving for that as much as we possibly can. It also says in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, it says, Watch ye and stand fast in the faith. That means to stand upon your faith and make sure that, that you stay with that. Quit you like men and be strong. So we can see both sides here that we should be striving to live peaceably with all men. We should also make sure that we're standing fast in the faith, that we are holding on to that truth. So today, we're going to look at some extreme examples from both sides of this. We're going to look at some examples that go very hard onto what they believe is truth and standing fast on that truth to the point that it causes a lot of division and a lot of controversy. We're also going to look at the other side where what they believe is doing the right thing is holding fast to peace and unity and inclusion to the point where they disregard truth. We're going to look at both examples, very extreme examples, and then we're going to see where does God want us to be in, in this scale? What, what does He want us to do? And what can we do as Christians to make sure that we are standing upon the truth while we're also promoting peace and unity? It is possible to do both at the same time, and we should be doing both at the same time. So the first section we're going to look at is the extreme side of cutting people out and causing division um, while they thinking that they're standing on the truth. In 2 Timothy verse 4 and 2, it says, Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. This would be a verse that, that this side of the argument stands upon, that they are supposed to preach the word. When you look up that be instant, it means to stand upon it, stand fast upon the word of God. In season means when it's convenient for you, and out of season means when it's not convenient for you. So if you, if you reword that just a little bit, it's telling us to preach the word and stand upon that word, 
when it's easy and stand upon that word when it's not so easy. We should be standing upon the truth. Also, we see in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, it says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. In Ephesians, it tells us, have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, of sin. We should be cutting that out of our life. We shouldn't, shouldn't have any fellowship with that. But let's look at some examples of where some preachers, this is specifically different preachers that I found um, on social media and some different examples of what they've used in order for them to say they're standing fast on the truth, but it's actually causing a lot of division. The first example we're going to look at is a preacher that he said, if, you are wearing, if you're a woman wearing pants, then you shouldn't be in my church. This is an example that it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 22 is where he pulls the scripture. Deuteronomy 22, it says that a woman should not wear that which pertains to a man, and a man should not wear that which pertains to a woman. He takes that and interprets it. If you're a woman wearing pants, you shouldn't be allowed in his church. And obviously you can see that that causes division and causes, causes women, especially that don't wear uh, pants, to leave his church. He didn't say it's Christ's church. He says it's his church as a, a possessive and ownership type mentality. So here's one example that you can see. He believes he's standing up for the truth when in fact it's really causing a lot of division. That's not a very peaceful statement, is it? That doesn't look like it strives for unity. It's very much causing division. That's one example. Here's another example I came across. This is a sign outside of a church, and it says, this is a mask-free church campus. We've talked a lot about COVID before. COVID's a very controversial topic. It doesn't really matter where you stand on that, but this is what the church did. This is a mask-free church, church campus. Kindly remove them or stay in your car. We celebrate faith over fear. What is really saying, if you're not willing to remove your mask, don't come in. You're not welcome here if you're not willing to remove your mask. Now, where in the scriptures does it talk about for Christians that they should or should not wear a mask for COVID? It doesn't talk about it. But it's a very controversial topic amongst other people. And this, these type of language and these type of examples incite that division and incites that controversy. This is not standing upon the truth. This is causing division. Third example. This is a pretty extreme one. This is a quote from a preacher, and I'm just going to read it exactly how he said it. The quote is, if you vote Democrat, then you can get out. Now, he is preaching this in his congregation. This is on video, and he's preaching this at his church. If you vote Democrat, you can get out. Get out, you demon. You can get out, you baby-butchering election thief. You cannot be a Christian and vote Democrat in this nation. I don't care how mad that makes you. They are God-denying demons that butcher babies and hate this nation. Somebody say amen. At that time, he waited for all the crowd to say amen, and then he went on to say the rest of you that didn't say amen, get out. Get out in the name of Jesus. Does that sound anything at all like peace and unity or wanting to promote people to, to believe the same thing and to be on the same page? Not at all. So we can obviously see from these attitudes it's wrong. And it's not just because we know it's wrong. You've probably see this and you see the sign, you see these different things, and you immediately go in your head like, that's not the right attitude for a Christian. We know this to be true. And it's not only the fact that we know it to be true. The Bible tells us that this attitude is wrong. In Luke chapter 8, verse 19, this is Jesus talking here. It says, And he spake a parable unto certain, uh, unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee 
that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. These few examples that we've seen, and there's many, many, many other examples that we could have looked at this morning, it really stems from an attitude of pride. I'm exalting myself above others because what I believe is right, and it's the truth, and if you don't believe the way that I believe, then you are inherently wrong. That what you're doing is not correct if you don't follow everything that I believe to be right. And it it stems from a a level of pride. And Jesus said that this is the wrong attitude for us to have. This is not how Christians should behave. This is not, it should not come from pride. We can also see from James chapter 3 verse 13, it says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom, the strife and envying in your hearts, this wisdom descendeth not from above. But it is earthly, it's sensual, and it's devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. Those three examples we looked at is strife and it's envying. And James tells us that that doesn't come from God. That type of behavior and that type of attitude, that type of wisdom, that's not godly. That is not a godly wisdom. It's not a godly attitude. It is earthly, sensual, and devilish. So obviously we can see that standing on the truth, we should stand on the truth. To the point that we mislead other people when we go too far to cause division and cause heartaches and cause separation is not correct. That is not how we should do it as Christians. So that's on one side. Now on the other side... We have some examples, some extreme examples of toleration, of inclusion, and behaviors and worship styles to the point where they disregard truth. We know that's not correct either, but we're going to look at a few of those. Now, some scriptures used from this side in order to promote inclusion and peace and unity would be like Luke chapter 6, verse 35 through 37. Luke chapter 6, and beginning in verse 35, Jesus says, But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. But be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. These are words from our Lord and Savior Jesus, and we should follow these. But not to the point we disregard truth. So as I was looking at some different things of where people went too far on inclusion for peace and unity's sake and disregarding truth, I came across this guide. This is a 64-page guide written to churches. Whoever wants to use it can use it. But it's Building an Inclusive Church. It's Welcoming Toolkit. This is, it says there in the text, Helping your congregation become a community that openly welcomes people of all sexual orientations and gender identities. This is a 64-page guide that instructs churches of how they can change their worship practices, how they can change what they teach, change what they don't teach, in order to be more inclusive and to tolerate more sin or different things that that we shouldn't be tolerating. So this is a guide that you could follow. It's to the point of disregarding truth, though. 
And to the point we, we promote a lot of inclusion and peace in order to disregard truth, that's too far. We shouldn't go that way. Here's an example of this, of where um, a lot of churches, a lot of different denominations, they have these things called creeds. For those of you who don't know, a creed is a man-made document or statement in order to instruct that congregation or that denomination of what they believe in their, their faith practices. It's not scriptural. It is a man-made document. Here is one of those creeds as an example. It's called the Sparkle Creed. Yes, this is real. And yes, there's a lot of churches that they read this. Uh, their pastors will read it with the whole congregation. I'm going to read it to you just so you can have an example. Absolutely not promoting it, but just reading it for you. The Sparkle Creed says, I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads and who saw everyone as a sibling child of God. I believe in the rainbow spirit who shatters our image of one white light and reflects, reflects, refracts it excuse me, into a rainbow of gorgeous diversity. I believe in the church of everyday saints as numerous, creative, and resilient as patches on the AIDS quilt, whose feet are grounded in mud and whose eyes gaze at the stars in wonder. I believe in the calling to each of us that love is love is love. So, beloved, let us love. I believe, glorious God, help my unbelief. This is a man-made creed that obviously you can see just from reading it the first time. This does not match Scripture. There's so many different things that it is to promote unity and inclusion, especially in our society. However, it's completely disregarding Scripture and completely disregarding truth. We know that that's too far. We can't afford to do that. We've already read multiple scriptures that as Christians, we have to stand fast in the faith. We have to hold fast to truth. We cannot go that far. Here's another example of what a preacher said, that essentially everybody's going to heaven. Here's the example. It says, after all, how could a loving God allow a good person to be punished forever in hell? So what if they didn't understand the Bible? So what if they weren't really a Christian as we define the term? So what if they weren't really a part of the church? I just have to believe that all good people go to heaven. And if God is love, then it can't be any other way. Now, we know from scriptures, say, like Matthew 7, 21, that not all good people go to heaven. Jesus taught us that. This is in direct contradiction to what Jesus taught us. So this is a, an example of promoting inclusion and peace and unity to the extent that you're suffering and, and you're casting out the truth. We know that this attitude is wrong. We cannot, as Christians, be tolerant of sin. As the church, we should be the pillar of truth. As it talks about in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, it says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, it is the pillar and the ground of truth. As Christians today, we are the church of the living God, and we should be the pillar and ground of truth. So anytime we focus too much on peace and unity and inclusion to the point that we're sacrificing truth, we're not acting the, the way the church should act. So we see this, we see the two different extremes. And I found these extremes examples on purpose in order to show you that there's some that they promote a lot of uh, diversity, they promote a lot of inclusion, promote a lot of people to come together and sacrifice the truth. And then you have the other extreme where they promote a lot of their opinion of standing on the truth, and yet it causes a lot of contradiction and strife and envying. And we know both of those examples are wrong. So somewhere we've got to be in the middle. Somewhere we've got to figure out how do we promote truth and how do we promote inclusion and unity and peace. 
The real question is, where does Christ fall on this spectrum? Where does he fall on the spectrum of truth and peace? And how can we bring these two together? Well, if we look at that, the first example we'll look at for Christ is in John chapter 8, verse 43 through 47. This is Jesus talking here. He says, Why do you not understand my speech? Cannot because ye, even because you cannot hear my word, ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not, which, you convinceth, which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. So Jesus is talking, and at this time, he's chastising the people because they're not listening to the words he's saying. He's standing upon the truth, and he is speaking what is true and what is right. And that's what Jesus was doing. He wasn't wavering just because people didn't want to hear what he said. He's standing upon the truth. Well, if we look in the same chapter, and we look a little bit earlier, we see an example where he does promote peace and unity as well. If you look at the beginning of the chapter, John chapter 8, beginning of verse 1, it says, Jesus went out into the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set, set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery, in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? Now they said this, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with a finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, being at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus said unto them again, saying, I am the light of the world, and he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So this is Jesus. This is an example where someone brought sin in front of Jesus. This woman committed adultery. They caught her in the act. There's no denying it. She wasn't denying it. They caught her in the act that she committed adultery. And in the old law, if you found someone that committed adultery, you were supposed to stone them. They brought them to Jesus and said, what do you think we should do? Now, Jesus, obviously, he knew that they were trying to tempt him to get him to get Jesus thrown off guard, and he wasn't going to fall for that. But what he did there really speaks in verse 11. When she said that, no man, Lord, there's nobody here to condemn her, to condemn her of her sin that she did commit. And Jesus said, well, I'm not going to condemn you either. Now, we're talking about the Son of God here. We're talking about Jesus Christ. Did he have the right to condemn sin? If anybody had that right, Jesus did. Jesus had the right to condemn sin, but he didn't. He said, neither do I condemn thee. I'm not going to condemn you of your sin, but I'm also not going to overlook the sin either. Go and sin no more. He didn't say, you're okay, you're all is well, go do whatever you want. No, he said, go and sin no more. So he spoke the truth to her, but he also knew that he was striving for peace and unity. You don't have to face every sin with a lot of hostility and a lot of anger and a lot of abuse. 
you can help people and help them get out of their sin as well. So he, Jesus did both, and this is in both in John chapter 8, where he did stand on the truth, and he also promoted peace and unity at the same time. Now, as Christians today, we should seek to imitate Christ in our life. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, if there, be any therefore, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is how we should treat other people, that we esteem others better than ourselves. We look to others. We seek peace. We seek love. We seek one accord and one mind that we're grounded on the truth together. So we seek this peace and unity. So we can see that Christ did that. He stood on the truth and he would seek for peace and unity at all times. And as Christians, we should do that today. So now, how do we actually do this? What does this actually look like for us today? How do we actually stand upon the truth while we're also promoting peace and unity at the same time? So we're gonna look at a few different things. One thing that we need to, to recognize is that demonstrating one of these behaviors does not compromise the other behavior. Demonstrating standing upon the truth does not compromise your ability to promote peace and unity, and vice versa. Demonstrating peace and unity does not compromise your ability to stand upon the truth. They can work together, they should work together, and they actually work in harmony. The first way of how we can do this is we understand that there's a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. A lot of times what you'll see is when people pull out arguments that causes a lot of division and cause a lot of strifes, it actually comes from Old Testament law, which we're not bound by anymore. Now, I want to be clear. The Old Testament definitely has its place. It has its place for our teaching, for our knowledge, for our understanding, and we're not bound by that Old Testament law anymore, as it talks about in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 8, beginning in verse 5, it says, "...who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much more he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which was established unto better promises. For if the first covenant, the Old Testament, had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second, the New Testament. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So this is where it's talking about. There is a difference and a distinction between the old law, the Mosaical law, and the new law that we have today. Now it talks about in, in Hebrews chapter 9, we'll continue on, of when that actually happened. Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 15, it says, And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, talking about Christ that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise it is of no strength at all when the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. What it's talking about here in Hebrews 8 and 9 is Jesus came to institute a new testament a new will, a new law for us to live under today. That became an effect when he died. 
He died, the Old Testament went away, and then the New Testament was come for us. And that is the Testament that we live under today. So a lot of times when we see different things that are, are people standing upon what they think is truth, we always have to recognize, is that truth for us today? Is that something that we're bound by today? Or was that the Old Testament? Remember the example that I gave of the, of the man saying that women should not be allowed to wear pants. Well, that came from Deuteronomy. That's the old law. That's from the Mosaical law. That was wiped out when Jesus, women, if you want to wear pants, you can wear pants. It's okay. But he, that, that preacher disagreed with that, and he got it from the Old Testament. So we always remember the Old Testament has its place. We can learn a lot from the Old Testament. All, a lot of the Old Testament pointed to Christ, and it gives us a lot of assurance of the prophecies and teachings that Christ is the Messiah. And we're not bound by that Old Testament law anymore. We're bound by the New Testament law. The second thing is how we can live in peace and unity and promote the truth at the same time is we must remember there is a difference in a commandment versus a personal conviction. A personal conviction does not automatically mean it's a commandment that everybody is bound to. If we look at Romans chapter 14, beginning of verse 1, it says, Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful dispositions. For one believeth that he may eat all things. Another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servants? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. So here we can see an example. Paul is writing to the church at Romans that we have a lot of liberties that we have now we didn't have in the Old Testament. Certain things that you can eat now you couldn't eat back in the Old Testament. Certain holidays you celebrate now you couldn't celebrate in the Old Testament. So we can see these different things. What Paul is saying is everyone be convicted in their own mind. Follow your conscience on that. Now, there are certain things that we have in the New Testament that is a commandment and that we don't have a choice on. You follow those commandments. And there are several things that we have as personal convictions that you can do it or you cannot do it, and it's totally fine. Whatever your personal conviction is, you're not allowed to put that on other people and force them to follow it as well. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, it says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only not use liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Even though we have liberties, we are not allowed to use those liberties to cause ourselves to sin or cause other people to sin. We're supposed to use those liberties to love and to serve one another, as it talks about in Galatians chapter 5. So we have a lot of liberties. We have a lot of freedoms now that we didn't have in the Old Testament. Also, we can see in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7 and 9, it says, How be it, there is, there is not in every man that knowledge, for some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. But meat commended us not to God, for neither if we eat we are the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak, for an occasion to the flesh. But by love serve one another. What Paul is talking about here is, once again, we have these liberties, we have these freedoms, we have things that we can do. And with that, we always want to make sure we're considering one another. 
We're thinking about the other people around you. Even though you have the liberty to participate in something, you might want to second guess it if it's going to cause a stumbling block for somebody else, as it talks about there in verse 9. We don't want that to be a stumbling block for other people that it will get them off track. So there's a few things that we need to remember, but we have to recognize the difference between a commandment and a personal conviction. Now I'm going to give you a list of some things that just to consider, some things to think about. I'm not condoning or I'm not chastising anything on this list. It is purely to get you to think. Is it a commandment or is it a personal conviction that you have? So here's some examples. Number one, celebrating certain holidays. Some people believe that you should not celebrate certain holidays, like Easter and Christmas and Halloween, and some people say it's okay. Is it a commandment or is it a personal conviction? Drinking alcohol. We do know it's a sin to get drunk. It clearly says that. Whatever, but however, drinking alcohol, is that a sin or is that a personal conviction? Gambling. Your definition of modesty, what does that look like? And is your definition of modesty, is that something that you can bind on other people? Different parenting styles, like specifically discipline, how you discipline your children. Tattoos, hair length, shopping at certain businesses, political parties or affiliations with that, and physical health choices. So we can see these are just 10 things, and the list can continue to go on and on and on. I've seen many times, many, many times, where Christians would have a certain view or they have a certain personal conviction about any one of these and they believe it's a sin if you don't believe the same way that they do. And that's not promoting peace and unity. If you have a personal conviction of either one of these, then follow your conscience on that, just as Paul talked about. However, you cannot put your own personal conviction as a commandment on other people. It's not the same thing. So we have to recognize the difference between a commandment and a personal conviction. The next thing is we always want to make sure we're helping people where they're at. If you look in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11, it says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, and to, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. Paul is writing to the church at Colossae here, and he's, this is when he's saying that like he knew that they were trying to follow after God, and he was excited about that, and he was praying for them. He was trying to help them grow in their knowledge, grow in wisdom, grow in spiritual understanding, increasing in knowledge of God. He was encouraging them to get better. So, what we see is when we're working with people, to help them develop their relationship with Christ, let's try to help them take one step further. I've seen several times where people will be working with some people and trying to encourage them, trying to walk closer to God, and if they don't do everything quote-unquote perfect in that person's eyes, they don't want to have anything to do with them. This is the wrong attitude. It's the wrong attitude to cut people off because they don't follow Christ the same way you do. Let's help them where they're at. Remember that each one of us, we have different backgrounds, we have different beliefs that we were taught growing up. We have different styles that we learned growing up of what a Christian looked like and how a Christian performed. We have different ways of doing things. And when we're helping people, we want to help them get a little bit closer to Christ. They don't have to go from day one to perfect on day two. Let's just get a little bit better. And when they stumble, have patience with them. They will stumble, just as you and I stumble. 
when we have parts that we mess up or we want to fall back into the life of sin, when we have different temptations that we succumb to, we have patience, we have long-suffering, and we want to help them get back on track. If you cut them off and you cause a lot of division, you're not going to be able to help that person. So we seek for peace and unity while helping them grow and helping them get just a little bit better each and every day. If we look at uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 17, it says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your heart, to the which you are also called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell, with, dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Let's look at some of the characteristics Paul talks about here in, in Colossians. It says that we should have bowels of mercy. We should be kind. We should be humble of mind, meek, long-suffering, have patience with people, for, forgive people, forbear people, forgive them when they do something against you. If you have a quarrel or an argument against someone, forgive them. We can see a lot of this that we're seeking peace and unity. And look down there in verse 16. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So we always should be seeking peace while we're teaching people, while we're admonishing them, while we're helping them to get better. And hopefully they're doing the same for you. So we're constantly seeking peace while we're promoting the truth. And we help people where they're at, help them to get just a little bit better. The next thing we do is we always encourage others to do better. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, it says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another." tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. We seek to encourage others, be kind, be tender-hearted, forgive. We put away all the bitterness, wrath, and anger. We put all that aside, and we seek to promote this peace and unity and help each other out. We seek to encourage and do the things that we can to people. You know, we looked at the example we looked at where it talks about that the knowledge that comes from below is earthly, sensual, devilish, it's, it's malice, it, it causes a lot of vision. If you continue that on in James chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, it says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So James gives us this stark distinction and this difference. If we're going to show the wisdom that we have from above that comes from God, it's all about peace, unity, but it's also pure. Don't forget that. That this is a wisdom that is pure. It's grounded in the truth. Or if it's going to be the peace that comes from below that's earthly, sensual, and devilish, that's going to cause division, strife, and envying. So we can easily see that difference there. And we should be using this to encourage others to do better. 
encourage others to walk a little bit closer to God. And they, they'll be doing the same thing for you too. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, it says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. So we're always looking to comfort and guide and help and edify. All these things, you do that with the truth of God's Word. You do that by teaching them and admonishing them in the truth and while you're seeking peace and love and unity at the same time. And finally, what we should really be doing as Christians, all of it should be motivated by love. Jesus taught us here in Mark chapter 12, verse 29, it says, Jesus answered and said, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Jesus taught us that these are the two greatest commandments. Everything that we do as Christians, if we want to follow after Christ, hinges upon these two commandments, that we love the Lord our God with all of our strength. We're constantly striving to follow His Word, to follow His teachings to the best of our ability because we fear Him and we love Him. And the second is that we love our neighbor as ourselves. that what we're doing is we're motivated by love and we're promoting that love towards other people. So if you truly love other souls... If you truly love other people and you think about people that you come into contact with and instead of seeing them just as a person you may have an interaction with, but instead see them as a person that has a living soul that God loves. And if you truly love that person and their soul, then it's easy to stand on the truth and promote peace and unity. It's easy to forgive them. It's easy to overlook their faults and to help them overcome their faults when you truly love their soul. So if you're struggling with this in any area of your life, that might be something you want to consider. Is do I truly have the love of Christ in my life that I'm sharing that love to other people? And when you are sharing that love for other people, then you'll act the way that Christ wants you to act. And we can see some examples of this if we look at what love actually is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning of verse 2. Paul writing to the church of Corinth, he says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave itself unseemly. It does not seek her own and is not easily provoked. Charity thinks no evil. It rejoices not in iniquity or sin, but it rejoices in truth. Charity believes all things, it bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Charity never fails. But whether there will be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there will be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there will be knowledge, it shall vanish away. So here we can see, we can, we can see what Paul told us about charity says that it suffers long, it's patient, it's kind, does not behave itself unseemly. It doesn't seek its own, but it seeks to edify and excel for other people. It's not easily provoked. It's not easily going to be angry or harsh. It also does not rejoice in iniquity. It does not rejoice in sin. It rejoices in truth. We can easily see from this chapter and what love, when we're motivated by love, we can easily see that yes, you can stand upon the truth and you can rejoice in that truth while you're also seeking peace and unity for, for other people. 
And when it's motivated by love, it's a pretty easy thing to do. So let's recap. How can we blend this truth and unity together? Number one, remember that they work in harmony. Truth and unity work together. They're not at contradiction to each other. Number two is to understand and properly apply the Old Testament and the New Testament and how we live with that today. Number three, recognize the difference in command versus a personal conviction. Number four, help people where they're at. Number five, encourage others to grow in Christ. And number six, ultimately, everything that you do should be motivated by love. The love you have for God and the love you have for your neighbor. So ultimately, as Christians, we've been given a mission to save souls. Christ has given us the mission and the, the Great Commission to go out, teach all nations to be baptized, and to teach them to follow after His commandments. So we have been given this, this commandment from God to go out and to save souls with the gospel and the great gifts that we've been given from Christ. And we've been entrusted with this gospel from our Lord to save these souls. So now we must use at our own, at our own discretion on how we can use the truth and how we can use peace to reach more souls. We can't go too far one way to the exclusion where we're overcoming truth and cutting out people. And we can't go too far the other way where we're constantly focused on inclusion and peace and we're disregarding the truth. They blend together. And we must use that at our discretion to blend those together. Being too harsh with truth will drive people away. You're not going to get very far with that. And being too loose by refusing to acknowledge sin is allowing people to go down a destructive road. You don't get very far with that either. So we must be able to use both of these the way that God has wanted us to use. And it's summed up here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. It says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sakes, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren... Warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, and be patient toward all men. This is the proper attitudes that we should have as Christians today. Warn them that are in sin, that are going against God's word. Comfort the weak, comfort the feeble-minded, and support them, and be patient, and help those people grow up in Christ. This is the attitudes that we should have when we're thinking about standing for the truth and promoting peace and unity at the same time. So if there's any here this morning that you need help standing upon the truth, maybe you haven't taken a stand for the truth in your own life. Maybe you haven't decided to follow after Christ and the instructions that He gave, which is to be baptized into His name and to wash away your sins in, in that baptism and to truly become a Christian and a follower of Him. If you haven't taken that stand on His truth in your own life, then I would encourage you to do that. There's no greater truth that you can stand upon to wash away your sin and become a Christian today. Or maybe you already have, but you've been struggling in whatever areas. Maybe you've been struggling to promote peace and unity, and you've been too harsh with maybe your own personal convictions. That's not a commandment for other people. We can help you with that. If there's someone here that you need help, you want to stand upon God's truth and be baptized into His, His will, then we can help you with that this morning. Or if you need help for whatever reason, if you need the prayers of the church, you need comfort, you need studying, we'll study on any topic that you'd like to. All you have to do is let your request be made known. Come have a seat on this front pew while we stand and sing the song that's been selected. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.